0: Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. So this week I'm doing a case which I have never done before because I thought we had done it. And I actually, when I told one of my friends I was doing this, they were like, you've covered that case. And I was like, I thought I did too, but it's because it's set in the same city as another case. So I'm so sorry... To the Dundee people, that I've just assumed every murder is the same. Um, so this week, I am going to be telling you the story of the Templeton Wood murders.
1: It's beginning. It's recording. I mean. <laughs>
0: Okay, Santa,
1: have you heard of this case? Yes and no. Okay. Only kind of when you mentioned it on the la- like the podcast that you thought you had done it on. And I yes. was like, oh, wow. But then apart from that, nothing.
0: Yes, yes. So as I'd said at the start, I was pretty certain we had done this. And was like really confused when my friend was like, no, you've definitely done it. And I was like, I'm sure I did. But we didn't do it. Um, it's one of our... <coughs> past episodes that's in Dundee and it is basically I mentioned this case in that episode and I actually said at the time like yeah we'll need to cover that in a year on and probably about 20 episodes later I'm covering it um so <laughs> don't say I don't keep my words because I will <laughs> um so right let's begin so this is set in Dundee and it's the late 70s which Dundee wasn't a very kind of known to be like people kind of looked down at Dundee and kind of like took the piss of Dundee a wee bit because it was quite a difficult social and economic time for Dundee so it wasn't really a wealthy city you know there was obviously I think their kind of docks all stopped getting work and there was quite a lot of stuff so Dundee was kind of laughed at by the rest of Scotland I'd read a quote kind of saying that so you can kind of imagine what kind of places is to live and on the 21st of March, 1979, a couple I'm going for a walk, find a body in Templeton Woods, partially covered in snow. Now, she'd been strangled and found bound and naked next to a bench and no clothes were seen at the scene, neither her belongings at all. This woman was actually identified to be Carol Lannon, who was 18 years old. She was the youngest of five siblings and she had a pretty difficult upbringing. Her dad, Norman, went to prison um, when she was a child. I think this was due to theft. And her mum remarried, but that kind of fell apart. So what actually ended up with her being taken into care. She was in foster care. She was a very, like, known, like, people have quoted that she was an unhappy child. Like, no one really saw her looking happy. She was quite excluded and didn't have many friends. She went to St John's High School, which was a Catholic school, but she struggled to fit in here. And people just kind of felt sorry for her, really. She left school at 16 with little to no prospects and actually turned to prostitution then and she had a son in the December of 1978 named Derek I actually think he could have been born on Christmas but because when I found it it said like at Christmas but some people identify Christmas as like the whole month of December so anyway but you are those people I am that person yeah (laughs) um there is actually no dad on his birth certificate so I don't know if there was a dad I don't know due to her line of work there's complete speculation like I'm just kind of guessing here but she raised him alone as a single mother which as you can imagine being a single mother and balancing working in the Dundee's red light district must have been quite tricky do you know like that's not easy do you know a kind of easy job that you can take your kid to or go childminding etc kind of thing um so the last time she was actually seen was the 20th of March 1979 um and she was 18 years old she was seen getting into a red ford in the dundee red light district i don't know what type of ford it is i read there was a t- couple of different types of ford so i'm just going to say it was a red ford um the man was identified as thin pale 20 to 30 sideburns mustache and brown hair loads of statements were taken but they dried up and an e-fit is released to the man but nothing comes off this really it kind of just disappears Now, two weeks later, a family who were heading out for the day found bags and clothes down at the River Don in Aberdeenshire, and they found a purse containing money and like child kind of allowance slip things. So they scooped it out of the water and handed it in to um, an off-duty police officer sorry, who handed this in at Inverary Police, as this was found 85 miles north of um, Dundee. Now, what I feel even if I feel it could have washed up absolutely but it all washed up together like her clothes and her bag Mm. which I don't know if they were tied together yeah or I don't know if they've been like tied together or stuffed or something I really don't know um but yeah so as you know like the people of Dundee aren't feeling safe like she was found in a very public place and you need to, like, kind of realise as well, because I wasn't, before I kind of took this into consideration, sorry, this is like the kind of 70s. This was a time where a lot of serial killers were about. I know mainly America, but, you know, there was like the Yorkshire Ripper and down in England. So this put a lot of fear into the general public. The Tayside police obviously wanted to sort this. But the case ends up kind of going cold. And I don't know if that's maybe because she didn't have family kind of fighting for her or if genuinely there was nothing coming off this. Now, 11 months later, on the 26th of February, 1980, another body is found in Templeton Woods. It's 150 yards away from where Carol Lanham was found. She had also been strangled. She was also naked and bound. Now, this was actually 20-year-old Elizabeth McCabe. She was a training nursery nurse. So I think from that, I think she was training to actually go into nursing, but worked as a nursery nurse or she was training that. I'm not 100% sure. She had a very close knit family, so completely different to the other victim. And she was actually quite shy and quite quiet and actually had a very tight group of people around her. There's not a lot of information on her, which I think is actually the case sometimes when they have a very decent upbringing. There's nothing to really say. Like she went to Menzies Hill High School and she lived a very normal life. Now Elizabeth had gone out with friends in the city centre and finished up at Teaser's Disco in Dundee. She had a row with a friend in her bath in the bathroom at this place, so she actually left the club alone at half past twelve. The body was found sixteen days later, so she'd actually been missing in class as a missing person, but actually the night before her twenty first birthday her body was found by rabbit hunters. The handbag and clothes were again missing. And they were found a few days later, miles away, but still in Dundee. So they weren't in Aberdeenshire, which kind of makes me think they may be washed up more. But I actually as well read that maybe they took them and dumped them in Aberdeenshire to kind of distract the public from thinking where they were from. Do you know, right now we're assuming this is someone from Dundee because he knows the area. He knows where the woods are. So maybe putting them in Aberdeenshire is actually trying to throw people off his track. Um. So these the handbag and clothes, this is a bit bizarre, was found by a woman who was in this like area looking for scrap metal, like it was this known place for kind of a scrap yard which kind of highlighted maybe the guy is from Dundee, because he knows this is a kind of area where things don't get found. Then a couple of weeks later, the same woman found her shoes. So the same woman really? out, Yeah found her shoes. But due to the condition of the shoes, it seemed they had not been exposed to like the elements. So it's like they had recently been put there. So it's like, they've not been lying there for weeks, do you know what I mean? And then in February, her clothes are found actually not far from her body. They also did vaginal swabs and they found semen, but they couldn't really confirm if this was sexual assault. So I don't know if it was wounds, etc. So she has been on a night out, so it could be consensual. I'm actually not 100% sure at all. So it could be that she's left with someone and had consensual sex and they've ended up murdering her or if it was rape. There is kind of no evidence pointing to either. Now the public obviously intertwined these actually before the police do and created the term the Templeton Wood Murders. So of course there's public like panic about serial killers but there's also the is it a copycat? Do you know it could be somebody that is just wanting to do you know like they're completely different people so it could actually be an ex or something that's murdered her and dumped her there to make it look like this person. It could be anything. Going back as well just to kind of knowing like knowing where they put the shoes and the bags and everything of this case that was a really derelict area and I just wonder like if they are from Dundee and maybe the Aberdeenshire thing was just a bit of a weird trying of off track or they generally lost out I just find that part really interesting like everything else from this case is found in Dundee everything from the first case apart from the bag and stuff are found in Dundee so I just wonder if that was a kind of attempt to maybe do you know Similarities as well. To be honest, these cases were linked, but really, the f- the condition they were found and where they were found is the only thing these girls have in common. They did not know each other. They didn't have any similarities in their lives. They didn't go to similar places. You know, we look at some of the cases we've done, and it's like they all went missing from the Barrowlands, for example. When we done Tobin, but that or Bible John, I can't. I can't remember now. All one, but. This wasn't the case here. It's not like they were both sex workers or both nurses. They are completely different people who have just kind of ended up dead in the same place, which is completely bizarre. Now, this goes cold. And when I say cold, it goes ice cold for a really long time. And then 2005, the investigation gets new forensic evidence and they begin looking into this. Now, one of the worst parts, I think, about her case is her father, Norman, is out of jail by now, of course. And he had absolutely no knowledge of his daughter's murder until 2005. When they turn up to interview, oh, really? Him. Yeah. So this is Carol's dad. Had absolutely no idea his daughter was dead until they turn up to interview him about the case. And he's oh, like, what, "What are you talking about?" Years later, <laughs> exactly. Well, that's yeah. She died in like 1979. So like the March, and this is 2005.
1: Wow. 26 years.
0: Mental, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. So. They actually start looking into a taxi driver named Vincent Simpson. Now, he operated a private, like, hire taxi company in Dundee, and he was actually charged with the murder of Elizabeth McCabe, which is the second, Elizabeth McCabe, sorry, the second murder, not the murder of Carol Lannan. Now, obviously, why, you ask?
1: That's a bit strange. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Why? yeah definitely so he was initially interviewed on march the 2nd 1980 as he confirmed he was near the woods the night elizabeth was murdered now this was actually confirmed because the tayside police sent out a questionnaire to like everybody in dundee and basically just to rule them out because i think obviously there's thousands of people and he actually admitted he was near the woods yeah but he had an alibi he was at a casino now they can kind of casino mean
1: in the woods or <laughs> no
0: he was i think he like, was near the woods or parked near the woods or walked through him or something. So he's saying, Oh, I didn't kill her. I wasn't there when she died, but like I was in the vicinity of the woods, in case someone maybe says, like, oh, I saw a man to his description. you know it's better saying I actually was there, which is absolutely fair enough. Yeah. If you tell but, the truth, if you've got nothing to hide. hmm However, it was actually a statement from a man named Charles Matheson, who is the 62 year old doorman at this casino that kind of got the charges like rolling because He came into work one day and actually got a note to call Vincent Simpson. So he doesn't know Vincent Simpson. He's like, who is this man? So Vincent's phoned the casino and asked to speak to him. So he calls Simpson, no answer. So Simpson calls him back. And Simpson's basically like, yeah, look, just a heads up. The police are probably going to come to see you. So can you just tell them you saw me at the casino that night? Well, that's fishy. And he was like, Well, he actually couldn't do it as he can't remember seeing him or not. Like, remember, this is the days way before CCTV. So he's like, I'm not saying he's a liar, but also, how the hell could I remember? Can I, like, do you know what I mean? As you said, 24 years ago, as a doorman seeing someone at a casino. Like, do you know what I mean? So, no. (laughs) But also, why are you phoning him to confirm that? I mean, if I had an alibi, and it was like, oh, I was at a nightclub. I wouldn't contact the nightclub and be like, hey, remember, like, 20-odd years ago? I was definitely there. Can you tell us <laughs> that? Because I think yeah. that'd be even more fishy if the dormant was like, yeah, yeah, he was there. He'd be like, how do you know that? Yeah. Anyway, in 2007, this actually goes to court and he was tried in court and it was a seven-week um, court case and the jury found him not guilty. Now, this was actually because the court heard there was they were quite concerned at the contamination of the forensic evidence. Now, This like this bit was getting me so raging, and you'll see why. So, items were not stored correctly, and the lab handling did not follow protocol correctly. Police who moved her body didn't wear protective clothing. The scene wasn't kept corning off. Mortician didn't wear gloves to remove jewellery. What? Like there was literally nothing. And like when testing was done. To see if there was like DNA, in each other Vincent and Elizabeth's belongings had been kept in the same environment so close that they couldn't rule out contamination. No way! Like way. I
1: know it's the seventies, but you knew they were doing all that work in the FBI in America. You knew what to do.
0: But then, even then, this is two thousand and five. They oh, like, yeah. well, well, no, well, actually, this is where I get a bit confused because obviously, in two thousand and five, they find like forensic evidence or whatever, but they obviously had him in for questioning and took samples i'm assuming when he answered the questionnaire and then i think it's those samples as you said that have been kept in the same place as her stuff Mm -hmm. but the fact that they even in 2005 let us go to court like it's a massive fuck up so they couldn't rule out contamination and basically one of the people working for the lab admitted they couldn't testify saying the evidence had been kept safe so that's just crazy So, yeah, it completely, like, flops, basically. So even though it gets to court or whatever, he is obviously found not guilty, and that's what they say. There's, like, yeah, his DNA's on it, but it's, like, if I wore your jumper, your DNA's going to be all over me. Do you know what I mean? So it's that thing if you can't put a swab of his DNA right next to her stuff and then be shocked that it's there. Ridiculous. So I think it's a bit of a shambles. Um, So, yeah, unfortunately, I'm just going to kind of tell you now, we actually don't have anybody that's ever been found guilty for the merger of either of these girls. And this is actually when it gets like people start believing there's loads of different theories. So there's three, well, there's four, but I'm going to tell you the three main ones first, the main ones that people believe it could be. So people actually thought it was Peter Sutcliffe, which is the Yorkshire ripper. And this was actually done by a um, secret investigation from the Yorkshire police. Now they actually did this to see if it was him. Now, obviously, I don't know if anyone knows who Peter Sutcliffe is, but he is a serial killer who was convicted of 13 murders between 1975 and 1980, obviously in Yorkshire, as he's nicknamed the Yorkshire River. Um, he's been doing life... We'll cover him um, one day. One day, when we run out of Scottish people again. Now, he's been doing life, and he's been in jail since, like, 1981. Um, yeah, so... Like that's the kind of the kind of it's a long way to travel for exactly it's a long way it's a long way to travel yeah absolutely and like you know he's been in jail since like nineteen eighty one so he's never obviously he's never been spoken to about it or anything like that but also I don't know why there's like not like not more information about this kind of out like if the police actually looked into it like let us know your findings unless they found absolute hee-haw and, or like we're quite embarrassed we put police time into this now yeah. samantha what did you say it was quite far to travel from yorkshire to dundee yeah i'd say that's at least
1: like what
0: six seven mm. hours. yeah yeah that's a good point to make especially when the next person i want to talk to is police were tipped off it was the zodiac killer Oh, well, that's just down the road in America. <laughs> so the Zodiac killer is actually a serial killer from California. Still a complete <laughs> unknown ID who has claimed to have killed about 37. Well, now, the tip 30, said he it. left California, came to Scotland, and these were his final victims, and they retired to Dundee. <laughs> and the Californian police were literally like, no. <laughs> no <wonder. laughs> that." was like- it? So that was um, probably my favourite theory. And the last one is a lot of people think, and I was really hopeful about this one, right? But you're going to see how my hopes shattered. They thought it was Angus Sinclair, which is our first podcast. Angus Sinclair was obviously the World's End Murders in Edinburgh in 1977. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm not going to tell you. Go back to episode one and listen to me and Samantha hear us pronounce our t's properly yeah you'll hear us actually speak properly and actually edit properly now i'm like sorry i'm not cutting that out. um so he was actually originally acquitted obviously in 2007 of his crime but that actually the only I'm not that's all I'm telling you, I'm not telling you anything more. But the police launched Operation Trinity after this, which was a joint investigation across the whole of Scotland, like loads of police forces investigating seven unsolved murders. Now the World's End one and the Templeton Wood murders were both in it. So this is why like I think he was kind of in it as well. So I'm like, this is really good, like reading all this stuff. He was in jail when they were murdered. <laughs> I was gonna say he'll
1: have been
0: in jail. <laughs> he was in jail. Um so what about it's Peter like
1: Tobin or someone.
0: Well, that's None the thing. It could jail. be like Bible John as well, but it's that thing of like what is uh, like why Dundee, why the two of them eleven months apart. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I have a lot of theories about it. Like I think my main theory is I think there's I actually don't I don't know if it's the same person I really really don't because I do think they are completely different um do you know all the similarities are that they were kind of dumped tied up which like forgive me for saying this that's a that's not they're not the only people that have been found in that situation do you know if you look at Sinclair's victims and you look at you know Bible John's victims, they are found like naked and stuff, so it could be that this person's heard of it and then done this, do you know? Mm-hmm. There's a lot, but, a lot, a lot. Like uh,
1: you say, sorry. No, you're okay. It like, could be a copycat murderer, but on the other hand, it could be the same person because he killed the first time to see if he could mm-hmm. get away with it, realised he could, but he wasn't like the rest, well not the rest, but like, that he didn't have a specific type, he wasn't after a certain person so maybe Mm. that's why they were so different he was like oh I got away with it the first time sorry for saying he as well you know it could have been a woman but I mean Mm -hmm. like they got away with it so Mm
0: -hmm. let's do it again oh yeah absolutely or they'll actually be looking for one person instead of two loads of different things so yeah that's where I'm kind of more likely on however there is one more person that I potentially believe killed one of the girls don't think, I don't think he would have killed the second one. But to be honest, I was really kind of twisted with this one because I actually was going to do a complete other episode because I believe the victim of this case does deserve their story being told as well. So reboil your kettle, get another drink. because I'm about to take you on a complete new story, and it's probably longer than the one I've just told you. Oh <laughs> so, God! <laughs> buckle up. So, so we're still in the vicinity of Dundee. We're not in Dundee city centre. But we're still kind of about. So it's 7pm on Saturday, the 27th, 27th, 22nd of August, 1987. And the police get a call to report 30-year-old Linda missing. So it's Linda Hunter, who is a social worker. She lives in Carnoustie, which is a seaside town just outside of Dundee. Now, her partner phones and says he hasn't seen his wife since the following day when she left with her dog, Shep, who's a wee old dog, to go to her parents in Glenrothes Fife. And it's actually been 36 hours since he saw her. She didn't come home that evening. And he admits she took a bag because they'd had a bit of a bicker about something. So she packed, took the dog and headed off with a joint car to her parents. However, when he checks in with her parents, she never made it to that location. Now, the person phoning is actually Andrew Hunter, her her wife, her husband. Now, Andrew Hunter grew up in children's homes, which, you know, it's kind of similar to Carol. What we've said up at the top, like. That's, like, what I've kind of read, basically. But then there was also bits as well that I said he was kind of, like, raised by his aunt. So I don't know if, like, one of them's wrong or both, but, like, his mum died when he was young and his dad was not involved. So I don't know if he was maybe, like, put somewhere temporarily until he was raised by his aunt or maybe the aunt. Or I'm not 100% sure. Now, he met his first wife, Christine, who was actually 11 years older than him, and they met while being at the Salvation Army in Paisley. Now they were both salvationists and Andrew became a social worker for the army voluntarily um, and he was really interested in social work which was actually a very sought after thing. At that time there wasn't a lot of social workers and everyone kind of wanted to get into that. Now he actually began studying to be a social worker and began studying while working at Anne Street Children's Home in Dundee. He had a son with his wife Christine. I actually can't find a name for this son but he actually, at the same time as this, began another relationship with a man who he had met at a sauna. However, I'd just like to point out that Andrew was extremely religious, like very big into his Christianity. So on the outside, apparently he was quite homophobic. So he didn't believe in, like, kind of gay relationships, but it was kind of fine when he was having relationships with men at the saunas. Anyway, so they actually move house, and they move across the road from a couple called Ian and Linda, now, Linda is actually a social worker. So when Ian has like, invite, like introduced them to the new neighbours, it's actually really good because he offers to help with um, Andrew's studies. they of them are quite good friends, but especially Linda and Andrew due to the social work kind of thing. So, of course, this turns into an affair. Justine found out how, about this, however, so it actually stopped. And, however, this began to continue again. So he actually moved out of the family home and moved into a flat in Dundee. Um, they got together, him and Linda, and she wanted a family, marriage, and everything. However, he was still married to Christine, so of course he had to get a divorce. Now he saw his son, and like you know, he would come stay in the flat in Dundee, they'd go out and about. So a couple of like you kind know, of weeks later, one day Andrew and his son was out, and they went back home to drop him off at Christine's, and actually couldn't get in the house. So they got the spare key from Ian. I just want to remember again: this is Ian, Linda's husband, who's having the affair. Yep. And they actually went into the flat to find that, unfortunately, Christine had committed suicide and they found her hanging in the home by a TV cable, cable. sorry. The son, I actually don't know what happened to him because it doesn't seem like he lived with Andrew. I could be totally wrong. I don't actually know his age, so it could be that he's actually got his own place, but unfortunately, she committed suicide. This was ruled as suicide, and I'd just like to say it's never been looked at as anything else. However, as I continue telling the story... You might start to kind of think like, "Hmm." Anyway, so Linda actually inherited a cottage in Kearny State, which I think she inherited it from her dad. I don't think she bought it or she could have bought off it. I'm not one hundred percent sure. So Andrew eventually moved in with her. Now, their relationship was actually known to be quite heated and difficult and they split numerous times and he was known for being violent to her. And when I say violent, it wasn't like a an occasional push and shove, like I'm talking hospital visits, etc. But I'll get into that later. But luckily on November the night in November 1986, they decided to marry, even though all of this and I think actually her family were happy they'd eventually decided to make it work and actually get married. Because when I was reading some things, sources were saying like people were surprised. They were actually lasting. Everyone kind of expected this to just fail. Now the day before she went missing, they both had the day off from their jobs. So in the morning they had headed out into town as Linda had bad morning sickness as she was six weeks pregnant. So they went to the local pharmacy at around 10am to get her something for this. Now they'd asked Linda if she wanted to kind of schedule an appointment so she was going to schedule an appointment later. But Linda was in a bad mood this day as on their day off, her partner was actually going out that night with his friends. Like Andrew was going out, I think it was a work leaving party. And due to her being ill, she kind of hoped like he'd cancel. Do you know that when you're like, no, no, still go? But in your head, you're like, don't go out. I think it was yeah, maybe like, one of those. Enough, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, um, it's fine. You do what you want. But inside, you're like, I want to watch telly, so stay in. So the week before, she'd actually called her sister, Sandra, to tell her about the pregnancy. And she'd kind of had a bit of a moan then, saying, like, we are off next weekend, <laughs> and he's away with his friends. Whatever. So Sandra actually planned to come through and, like, stay the night. So according to Andrew, around 11 a.m., um, Linda had come down with a bag packed and the dog and basically said, like, I'm going to stay at my parents tonight. And he was like, all right, okay, well, like, because they only share a car, like... I'll drive you to your parents in Glen and then I'll bring back the car. And she was like, no, I'm taking the car. And he was like, right, okay, well, I need to go into town, like Dundee Town, to see his supervisor at work about his studies. So he was like, can you at least give me a lift to Dundee? So he goes to get ready, comes back, and Linda and Shep have gone with the car. So he actually doesn't get a lift or anything. So he actually has an appointment with supervisor, but as I said, he actually calls him to say he's going to be late because he has to now get the bus. Sandra, her sister, turns up at three o'clock and obviously Linda's not there. Linda's gone to stay with his parents. So, like, obviously Andrew's like, you're welcome to come in. So they actually went in, sat in the garden, ran some errands together and they actually went for dinner at a hotel and then went to pick up Linda's prescription. Now, the um, woman at the pharmacy actually asked if Linda wants to make an appointment and Andrew's like, oh no, I think she's busy that day so I'll get her to contact you, kind of thing. Obviously when, like, 7pm hits... Andrew heads out with his friends and Sandra leaves. He's like, Look, she's away at your parents. We had a bit of a bicker kind of thing. So Sandra doesn't think anything off it, obviously, as well. This is still the 70s. So I don't know if she didn't phone, or do you know I would have been phoning my parents and just saying, like, well, if she's there, I can come visit as well, kind of thing. But anyway, um, they went out. So Andrew goes out in town with his friends. One of his friends gives him a lift-in. He withdraws money from a bank machine when he's out in town and stays out at his kind of work friends leave him he basically wakes up in the morning and linda is still gone so i think he's starting to worry now because obviously they've argued so there could be a bit of an accident etc so he waits out that day and then that night he calls the police now four and a half hours away in manchester at piccadilly i think it's piccadilly station is i think it is the name of the place anyway linda's car is found abandoned and it has a parking ticket from 9am that morning as it's parked on double yellows Now, Tayside Police immediately knew something wasn't right. Like, why is her car in Manchester? Does she have any connections to Manchester? No. Andrew seemed off and kind of cold about this, not, like, shocked, upset. Like, I would be like, oh, my God, Manchester? Like, why is her car there? She's not there. The car had actually looked like it had been, like, broken into. So, like, I would be in, but he just seemed quite off and cold about it. But as you can imagine, her family were absolutely devastated with this news because they knew she wouldn't have just driven to Manchester. And family knew he was aggressive towards her. And Sandra had said like, on the phone, Linda told her like about the marriage problems and actually said like he wasn't happy about the fact they were having a baby. Going back to what I said earlier as well, when I said he was violent. I, I, as I said, I'm talking, he twisted her arm so much one time she had to go to hospital. He's hit her in the face with an umbrella. She's actually called the police sometimes as the attacks have got so bad, but she has not pressed any charges against him. He continued to have affairs again and actually used sex workers. And continued to see a man that he'd saw previously in the saunas. He was actually seeing a specific sex worker, which was a twenty two year old heroin addict. He'd actually met due, like via his social work links. Which I'm just like, ah, I really don't think yeah, I'm like to do no. that. <laughs> but yeah, so he would yeah. see her quite regularly. Now, as you can imagine, sorry, Linda fell into like a deep depression. And accidentally overdosed on sleeping tablets. Now she says it was accidentally. However, if she was living with this. Now, December, three and a half months later, Linda's case is the first Scottish case on Crime Watch. I loved Crime Watch i miss crime watch a lot but police got yeah. loads and loads of it phone calls it all gave me the
1: fear though
0: oh yeah you'd watch the like, reenactments and you'd be like oh my god they were like i was just a normal person and the next minute i was at knife point and i was like
1: we're gonna be at knife point
0: <laughs> so i absolutely loved crime watch but i think as well like i'm so passionate about crime watch but this is why because the police got loads of phone calls it worked like you'd see like you'd be sitting watching like i used to love the efit bit because i'm like what would you do if you generally recognize somebody but people do Now, someone said on the day Linda went missing, they saw her car near Fernie Castle, which I'd forgot to mention earlier. That's actually where they had their honeymoon, which is in like Fife kind of way. And it was driven by a man and there was a woman in the passenger seat who was clearly distressed. Now, they ID'd this man as Andrew. The police announced to the public that a dog actually matching Chef's description was seen near the castle as well, where the couple had honeymooned. Now, a taxi driver from Edinburgh at 1.20am on the Saturday morning said he saw a white Vauxhall near the 4th Road Bridge with two men changing the tyre. Now, this is the type of car Linda has. For some reason, and he honestly says he does not know why, he thought there was something suspicious about it. So he wrote down the licence plate and it matched Linda's apart from one number no way now yeah yeah so the police are big like they're like maybe he's running it down wrong whatever so they actually believe he hadn't gone to bed after that night out but they think that andrew has driven to england to dump this car now detectives actually found a dog matching Shep's description in that woodland area um however it had no owner and it didn't have a collar on so after a week he was put down the authorities put the dog down Because nobody claimed him, yeah. That was really sad, so Shep died. Anyway, so in the Hunter's family cottage, they found Shep's collar. Now, Shep, like the family had said, Shep was never known to take his, like, collar off outside. I know the way I worded that is, like, I mean, that wasn't Shep's decision. But because they didn't want to lose him, obviously, he always had a collar on. Like, we've had cats and dogs and stuff. If you have them out, you have a collar. So they get missing, it's got a name tag, blah, blah. So he was kind of known to never be out and about without his collar. So it's not like he ran run off from a walk or he run from her. He wasn't meant to be outside without his collar on. Now, they went to St Michael's, Fernie Castle, and actually... Andrew joined the search as the kind of concerned husband, and after three days of search in this area, it was actually called off because they didn't find anything. Now two months went by and it was silent again until the eleventh of February 1988, when a man walking his dog in Melville Woods off the main road between like Dundee and Fife, like thirty metres from the road, the man and his dog found the decomposed body of a woman who had a dog lead tied round her neck. Now immediately the Tayside police do, and I think everybody knew that this was Linda's body. Now, immediately, the public are getting reminders of Elizabeth McCabe and Carol Lennon with the whole woman tied up, like, that kind of thing. And they actually go to tell Andrew that they have found his wife's body and he's with his 22-year-old sex worker. And 24 hours later, the 22-year-old sex worker dies of a drug overdose. Now, this is like...
1: Nah, if that's not a coincidence, I don't know why. Well, a
0: friend said that she actually took her own life as she joked to Andrew months ago, he should kill his wife so they could, like, be together. But she died of, like, a heroin overdose, so I don't know if it was a suicide or if it was something a bit more sinister. I don't really know. Now, four days later, Andrew spoke to the media, and when he got there, he asked to be photographed on his best side. And he said he had absolutely nothing to hide. Linda's death hadn't sunk in, really. He was just kind of wanting to say that he was innocent and should be, like, taken off the investigation kind of thing. Now the police decide to go over his alibis and actually like cross reference it, and what they believe is that he drove her, saying like, "Okay, I'll take you to your parents." They got into a bit of an argument in the car, and he actually pulls over and murders his wife and dumps Shep. So police actually investigate and uh, interview, sorry, over five thousand people. Now when he arrived at his meeting as well with a supervisor that day, he was visibly sweaty and said that was due to getting the bus. I don't get buses, Samantha. You're, you frequent buses quite often. Like, do you I sweat? I sweat on the
1: bus when I run for them. Or, you know, mm. like...
0: Mm-hmm. Not just being on a bus.
1: Warm. No. Doesn't make you sweat. <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> now, the Tayside Police actually drove through the night from Kernish Street down to Manchester, where the car was found. They took every route possible, waited for the morning train and caught it back. And it was perfectly possible to do this in the time slot that he had. Now, they believe he deliberately took money out at the night out, and then that next morning he went into town and bought shoes, so I think he was creating his own alibi, and so did the police. Now, he was arrested, and in July 1988 he went to the High Court in Dundee for the murder of his wife, Linda. It was a jury of eight women and two men, And this was actually one of the most popular, like, court cases in, like, Dundee's history. Like, crowds stood outside, like, I'm talking, they brought their flasks, etc. And if they couldn't get into, like, the morning hearing, they were hopefully going to get into, like, the afternoon hearing. Like, so many people wanted to, like, get above, like, get in amongst the kind of chat kind of thing. Now, he pled not guilty. He completely denied it and basically was like, no, it wasn't me. Now, it's actually believed that the night he was driving the car down, that he wore a blonde wig, pretending to be a woman when driving, who was seen, however, when the tyre burst on the 4th row Bridge or when it was punctured, that he dumped the wig and basically got this man to help him. Now, the prosecution's witness is actually a regular sex worker and this regular sex worker says he was obsessed with sex and bored of his wife. Judy heard after killing Linda, he spent time with her, like, sister to entertain her, basically, and, like, kept him on his side, ran some errands, acting totally normal, and that's why he kind of done that. There was 11 days of trial and two hours of deliberations and he was found guilty and it was Lord Brand that oversaw it and he gave him life. Now, a year later, he was in court again appealing this, However, his appeal was denied. Five years later in July, so July 19th, 1993, he died of a heart attack in prison and that's basically the end of Andrew Hunter. Now, you're probably thinking, why? Are you, why are you telling me this story, which is absolutely fair enough. However, people believe he has a connection to Carol. She was obviously a prostitute, so could have been used by him, could have had something that turned nasty. Of course, he was never able to be questioned about Carol as he had died. And people had thought, you know, like the ex-wife and the other prostitute was a bit suspicious as well. But I'm just going to be honest, like none of that, like it never went to court or anything. So I can't say It was him. Do you know? I can't say that at all. However, the main thing that's connecting these is Andrew Hunter matches the e-fit of um, Carol's Killer. No way. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is actually post onto our Instagram because I was like, "Mm," but if you actually look at it, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. You're like, yeah. It actually matches it. So he looks a lot like the e-fit but obviously he's never like been tried for anything he obviously couldn't be because he's dead and they can't really do anything you get a ouija board out eh? yeah exactly no, um,
1: sorry that was a bad joke i take that yeah
0: no fair it. enough but of course like Derek like you think about things like this and Derek for example he was three months old when Carol was killed so he's actually like grew up without his mum and it is they are all people and you know and that's why I wanted to kind of talk more as well about um sorry I'm just like, absolutely still here I just wanted to talk more about that last case as well because I feel like yeah Andrew had a bit of a connection as well but his wife was a person. Linda was a person. The 22-year-old prostitute, I don't know her name, was a person. His ex-wife was a person. And this is five lives lost on this podcast alone. But the fact is, nobody has been found guilty for the first two. There's absolutely nobody and there is no suspects. There are completely cold cases. And I just think, my opinion, like it's just me, as I said, I'm a podcaster, not a detective. I personally think that Andrew Hunter killed Carol Lannon. And I think it was a completely different person that killed Elizabeth McCabe. And I don't know. That's just my theory. I don't know about you, Samantha. Uh,
1: It sounds good to me. Like, (laughs) it sounds about right. Like, Mm -hmm. Andrew was connected to Carol in a way.
0: Yeah, like it could have been the most, like, well, as I said as well, I think they were both in the kind of care system growing up. It could be they kind of knew each other from that. there's so many kind of ways there's not but what's annoying is there's nothing confirmed and he's dead so it's never i hate when cases don't have a he was jailed for life the end endings but whoever it is if it was him he's not going to do any time for it but yes i will put up um photos on the instagram but what i'm going to do as well is put up the e-fit, and then See if we can get a photo of him as well and let us know your opinions because I always find that so funny. Like, I've seen EFITs before, and people have been like, Oh my god, that's the double! and I'm like, It looks nothing like that. So, it'd be really interesting to see if you yeah. see the resemblance. See, not
1: no, I thought it was great. That, well, not great, but you know what I mean, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, crazy, absolutely crazy. Two completely different murders, but they way. could be
0: linked, eh? yeah, and also
1: the ex wife could also have been a murder but again yeah like that was
0: know. yeah exactly well that was ruled as suicide and the police have said it was never suspicious but I just think that man alone in two years had like three women die around him mm-hmm. and then his prostitute friend his sex
1: worker friend sorry well that is the three yeah uh, yeah was hers also and the dog like, chip. you just don't know well, well, well that's the thing that was ruled down, so <laughs> yeah that was him, bad
0: but... But, um, but well that's the thing they said that was kind of what's it they said that was suicide well, suicide, but I don't think, do you know, if you're found like that, no one's going to be like, that's murder. Um, but I think, obviously, when looking at his track record, you're like, hmm. Might have been. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's really, really sad because I always hope there's something, you know, but there's... Mm-hmm. really there's no kind of ending to it so yeah it's a sad one